Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning adult Bible class. So good to have you here. Especially good to see Sharon. She walked in the door and said, this is the place where I need to be. We're so glad to have her back. We still will continue to miss J.D. I'd like for us to open our Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Our study begins in Ecclesiastes today, and this study will continue into January. If you have an appetite for Bible teaching, we want to fill that need to the best of our ability, and one way we do that here is through these Bible classes, Sunday mornings and then Wednesday evenings. We hope you'll do your best to be with us for all of these classes in Ecclesiastes, and we promise that our teaching will be from the text of Scripture, and with this particular course of study, we are also making recordings that will show up on our website several days after each class. Those recordings will not include any comments that you might make. Those will be edited out. And we promise after we go through the text each time, every class, we will always emphasize how we apply what we've learned here, out there, in real life. We're going to begin this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess our need of thy word, and we pray that we will concentrate, be committed to this study, and turn this learning into living through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Listen, please, to the opening statement in Ecclesiastes. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I want to begin by saying to you that there's really nothing in the Bible, no other book that is like Ecclesiastes. Let me explain. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John enjoy obvious similarity, telling us about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did, why he did that, his death, burial, and resurrection, what he said about how we ought to live, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The books of the prophets in the Old Testament contain very similar themes and structure, prophecy, exposure of sin, judgment, rebuke, with promises about God's plans for the Messiah. Books of prophecy. The New Testament epistles certainly enjoy similarities sent to either individuals, in the case of Timothy and Titus and Philemon, or local churches. And they generally begin with some sort of doctrinal discourse and always move toward the practical, the New Testament epistles. There's nothing much like Ecclesiastes in the mix of biblical literature. It is extremely difficult to outline Ecclesiastes. If you were with us through our study of the book of Romans, we had an outline of the book of Romans. 
It's extremely difficult to try to outline Ecclesiastes, and this time through, I've made no attempt to do so. It doesn't have the common flow of thought and sequence and structure that other Bible books have that would lend themselves to an outline. Ecclesiastes may sometimes seem disjointed, it may seem repetitious. At certain places in Ecclesiastes, it seems to be mysterious and dark and maybe even depressing. There is one thing you can do to reduce the mystery of Ecclesiastes and bring into your mind a clear view of what the book is about. Here is the most valuable thing you can do to better understand Ecclesiastes. Read Ecclesiastes in one setting. Read Ecclesiastes in one setting. Don't just read that last most familiar sentence at the end of the book. Read everything that leads there and read it in one sitting. I think that'll be the most valuable thing you can do. I'm going to encourage you to come to all these classes. But the best way to prepare yourself for these classes and to gain something from these classes in terms of personal insight is to read the book in one sitting. Maybe 45 minutes or less you can read the book and I promise that as you read the book in one sitting the theme will emerge and you will be in good position then to navigate the individual chapters and passages and details. It will be clear to you. Now you may need to do more than just one read through, but if you'll start with one sitting reading, the clarity and message of the book, I believe, will easily flow right off the page into your mind and then you can make application of it in your life. Read the entire book through and you'll put yourself at great advantage. Ecclesiastes contains the personal reflections of an old man. The personal reflections of an old man. Probably near the end of life at a time when he finally came to the reality of how badly he had messed up his life. Solomon takes his readers on a journey. Now here's what a journey has. A journey has a destination. So it's not just academic. It is not just therapeutic for the writer. He's headed for a destination. And here it is. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or bad. That's Solomon's destination. The best possible experience is to learn this early in life, then determine that you're going to avoid all of the experimentation that many people adopt in life. 
Determine that you're going to avoid all the inept journeys into sin to see what it's like and how fun it might be. Determine early to order your life under the sun with full acknowledgement of and obedience to the creator of the sun. And if you'll determine that early in life and follow through with God's word at your side, you're going to be so much better than the one who takes all of these little journeys into sin and worldliness to see what it's like. The man who wrote this book had the capacity and the opportunity and the revelation from God to learn this early and to engage all of his life toward this purpose that he states at the end of the book. But he didn't do that. And here he tells the story of how he finally realized that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And no matter how smart you are or how wealthy you are, you must keep your mind fixed on fearing God and keeping his commandments. We were made for that purpose. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. Quickly, let me cover some of what we commonly call introductory information. The author, I believe, is Solomon. He refers to himself as the son of David. And then he says king in Jerusalem. In verse 12, the writer says he was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And then he describes a lifestyle, it might be called the lifestyle of the rich and famous, that only matches one man in the Old Testament. He describes it over in chapter 2, and that description matches only Solomon. So we have son of David, king in Jerusalem, and the lifestyle described in chapter 2. My conclusion is this was written by Solomon near the end of his life, which would date the book around 900 to 950 years before Christ. There are two elements of credibility combined in this book. Two elements of credibility that combine in this book. One, the author's personal experience. Now while that is subjective, that is as it relates to a person, it is credible. He witnessed personally what it means to get off course. He witnessed it. He went off course. So the credibility of the book lies, first of all, in his personal experience. But secondly, and more importantly, and more objectively, he was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The statement in chapter 12 and verse 11 is, This teaching was given to him by one shepherd. Now, I've already touched on the theme of Ecclesiastes. And if you did a reading through the book before you came today, you already know what I'm about to say. Reading the book in one setting, particularly when you get to the end, here's what comes off the page. No matter how exciting life may seem to be here on earth, 
under the sun is Solomon's expression. Ultimately, it has no good meaning or outcome without God. That's the theme of the book. I'll be stating that as we go along in different ways, but I'll be repeating this many times. No matter how exciting life may seem to be on earth under the sun, ultimately it has no good meaning or outcome without God. Now, how great it is to learn this when you are young. We have some young people here. Are you listening? How great it is to learn this when you're young and follow through with all the instruction God has given for that follow through. And then spend your life under the sun preparing to meet God when you leave. Because that's what's going to happen. Now, enjoy the blessings of God while you're here. Solomon will mention that, for example, in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. But your life must be about you and God. Not you and you are not you and friends and not you and the world. Are you and alcohol? Are you and drugs? Are you and sex? Your life needs to be about you and God. Life under the sun without God is ultimately miserable, unfulfilling. Solomon says it is vanity. Now Solomon, remember, has some experience about this. Solomon took all these side journeys into various earthly pursuits, finding all of them to be empty when God was left out. Some of them absolute iniquity to begin with. Finding some of them to be absolutely an unholy disaster. But in Solomon's search to find meaning in life under the sun, he says, vanity of vanities. I didn't find it. His report of that experience is given for us in Ecclesiastes. And that term, Ecclesiastes means to convene an assembly for the instruction of people who attend. So it's a call to pay attention. We've got an assembly here. We have people here. Now, what can we pay attention to? What do we need to listen to? The Hebrew term is koeleth, and it means to convene an assembly or a group and to give them the most valuable information they need. That's what we're going to be doing in these classes from Ecclesiastes. As we go through this remarkable book, I'm going to be asking this question. If you saw the Laurel Heights Facebook page, you already know. Are we trying to get what we need from under the sun instead of from the maker of the sun? Let that sink in. Are we trying to get what we need in life from under the sun instead of from the maker of the sun? I'm going to pause there. Questions or comments before we continue. Let's begin at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Solomon, 
The king functions here as a preacher who in a manner of speaking convenes people to receive instruction they need. He has something to say that people need to hear about life. And they're being convened. That's the format of the book. He will use words that report his thoughts, his conclusions. He will be very honest about his own ill-advised behaviors and his habits. He will tell all. Often, Solomon is not recommending behavior. He is reporting behavior. Never read through a book of Ecclesiastes and say, well, Solomon did it, so I'm going to do it. No, Solomon's not commanding you to do something. Solomon's describing what you ought not to do. Be sure you make that distinction as you read through the book. This becomes the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now we come to verse 2. And there's an intriguing turn of phrase that's going to come up all through Ecclesiastes. And that phrase is vanity of vanities. And then right behind that, all is vanity. Isn't it immediately clear to the reader, to the student, that we must talk about this word vanity right here in the beginning of our study? We must at this point work very closely with this word. The Hebrew term spelled in English is habel, H-E-B-E-L. And if you take that Hebrew word and find English equivalent terms, here are some synonyms you'll discover. Meaningless, useless. Futile, fleeting, in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, absolute futility. Absolute futility. I believe it is this simple. When you take into account everything in Ecclesiastes, life here on earth without God has no ultimate meaning. It is therefore meaningless. It is futile. It is useless. Vanity of vanities. And if it helps you, uh, it, this is an interesting observation about the expression. In Hebrew expressions, when superlatives are required, you would use the word twice. We almost do that in English. How cold is it outside? It's very very cold. We do that sometimes in English. It came from Hebrew literary structure probably because in Hebrew expressions when superlatives were required they'd use the word twice. So you have vanity of vanities. That's for emphasis. The most notable example of this outside of the book Ecclesiastes is the holy of holies. You remember that place? The holy of holies. So this is how Hebrews expressed intensity. So Solomon begins by telling us that life here on earth, if you take God out, is vanity 
of vanities, meaningless, futile, useless. I said earlier to you, no matter how exciting our lives may seem to be here under the sun, it has no good ultimate meaning if you take God out of it. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Sometimes in Bible reading, when there's a question mark, when it sounds like a question, it's a good idea there to kind of pause. And then before you keep reading. So what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is very much like the age-old question that philosophers have written so much about, but often have said so little. And songwriters and poets have returned to, what's it all about? What's it all about? The question is brought up mostly for effect at this point, <coughs> because the answer is only given gradually through the letter and punctuated at the end. But Solomon begins by saying, now, what's it all about? Here's what we're going to think about. Picture Solomon now. He convenes an assembly, and he's going to dispense information that the people there need. And he starts out by saying, all right, folks, what's it all about? What is life all about. And then he uses this expression, under the sun. Here's what that means. Under the sun means here. Under the sun. On earth. Under the sun simply means here on earth. But as context will confirm, Solomon is talking about life here on earth under the sun without God. And he says that's futile. It's vanity of vanities. See, that takes us back to the fundamental question, doesn't it? Are we trying to get what we need from under the sun instead of from the maker of the sun. If I'm living just for what I can get here on earth, there will come a time when it'll all be over. What then? If I'm toiling and searching and trying to find answers and fulfillment under the sun, leaving God out, Solomon is saying, listen folks, I tried that. And it didn't work for me, and it won't work for you. Are you listening, young people? Middle-aged people? Old folks? Nothing works well without God. It's vanity of vanities. Later in Ecclesiastes, it will be clear. Everything here can have meaning... And you can get joy from some of the things that are here on the earth. If God is in your heart and your plans and your purpose and your hope. It was Ronald Reagan who said, Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. But that statement not only pertains to government. When you take God out of anything, it's going to be a loss. You take God out of anything, it's going to be a loss. If you take God out of religion, out of medicine, out of economics, out of marriage, out of parenting, what you wind up with in the end is not only vanity, but vanity of vanities.
If your life is only about what's here under the sun, if you have no relationship with the creator of sun, that's vanity. So when we read the Bible and study the New Testament, as we learn to respond to God, as he has directed and be daily disciples of Christ, all of that is about life having value. Not only while we're here, but after we leave. Now how important is that to you? Let's look at another word in verse 3. Gain or profit. That will come up several times. I think the word is used in most translations eight or nine times in Ecclesiastes. Here's what that means. What's left at the end? Ponder that a minute. What's left at the end? My grandfather owned a general store in Yale County, Arkansas in the 1930s and 40s. He did not have accounting software. At the end of the week, he would take his gross cash on hand, take out of that what he owed to wholesalers and his cost, and what was left at the end of the week was his profit. If life under the sun is all you depend upon, know God, then what's left at the end of life is nothing. But then you get to the New Testament and you discover, well, there is something, but it's not good. It's not good at all. It's everlasting punishment. No profit. I've got takeaways. It's about time for our last 10, 12 minutes of takeaways. Questions or comments? We've studied Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 3, and we're now ready for takeaways. Ecclesiastes is very honest about the troubles of life and the need to keep God at the center. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes doesn't brush aside the bad things we go through on earth. Ecclesiastes doesn't push that out of the way. Ecclesiastes is very honest about the bad things that we may go through here on earth as a result of sin. Or if we cannot even track it back to a cause. Ecclesiastes is honest about it. There are some things about living life on earth that are really awful. And Ecclesiastes is honest about it. I have read a book by Philip Ryken about Ecclesiastes many years ago. And I quote from Ryken. We should study Ecclesiastes because it is honest about the troubles of life. So honest that the great American novelist Herman Melville once called it the truest of all books. More than anything else in the Bible, Ecclesiastes captures the futility and frustration of a fallen world. 
It is honest about the drudgery that goes on here. The injustice of government. The dissatisfaction of foolish pleasure. The mind-numbing tedium of everyday life that sometimes overcomes us. The treadmill of our existence. Think of Ecclesiastes as the only book of the Bible written on Monday morning. Reading it helps us to be honest with God about the problems of life and to keep God at the prominent center of our lives. Ecclesiastes, we're going to discover in our study through it, is exceedingly honest about the difficulties and heartaches that we go through here on the earth. Now, can you imagine going through all these difficulties and removing God from your life? What's that going to do? It's going to make it more difficult. Fear God and keep His commandments. Number two. Someone else I've listened to to help me understand Ecclesiastes, Paul Earnhardt, gospel preacher. And he put me on to this some time ago. The book of Ecclesiastes is not about life as described in Genesis 2. It is about life as described in and after Genesis 3. You know what that's talking about, don't you? You know what that's about. Genesis 2 is before sin entered. And what do we call that? Paradise. That's Genesis 2. Genesis 3 is about what happened when sin entered the world and after the earth is under a curse. Things are not the same after Genesis 3, are they? When we get into those moods of complaining about life on earth, difficulties we do not fully understand, we need to remember that we're still living under the curse of sin. That curse that is so vividly pronounced and specified by God to Adam and Eve and Satan in Genesis chapter 3. We're living under that curse. We can live in a cursed place without being guilty. We can live in a cursed place with hope and joy even because of the death of Christ and our response to Him initially and thereafter in continued discipleship. But the book of Ecclesiastes is about life after Genesis chapter 3. Questions or comments before I continue? I'll make time. Over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer will tell us not to let the culture around us get into us and dominate us. We have to live here before we die. But we can live here with God at the center of our lives. We are not bound to let the culture get into us and dominate us. 
And Ecclesiastes will warn us not to let that happen. Putting God at the center of your life and keeping Him there no matter what is the only way to really live while you're here under the sun. And Solomon will tell us that in various ways over and over. He will tell us through illustrations and proverbs and poetic expressions. He will tell us through experience. He'll use a number of different literary tools in the book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes, to tell us to fear God and keep His commandments no matter what. Number four. People who are smart, are skilled, are highly reputed, sometimes make a mess of their lives. It took me a long time to figure that out. I can remember in my teenage years thinking, boy, if if this guy is smart and he's skilled... And people think highly of him. And he's well reputed. He can't go wrong. And then eventually I learned. Oh yes he can. People who are smart. Highly intelligent. Tons of information. Just all in their heads. And accessing that information. And and developing skills. And thought highly of. And successful in terms of the world. Can sometimes make a mess of their lives. I know that now. But I remember thinking that if someone is smart. And successful and well known. And they're making good money. And everything the world seems to think is going fine. Nothing can go wrong. Well I was wrong. Solomon. Smart. Skilled in various areas of endeavor and leadership. Certainly well known. People came from afar just to see what he had. But did he ever make a mess of his life? And do we not see that repeated over and over almost every day? People who are highly placed... And they're smart and they have maneuvered themselves into positions of power. And uh, they may have degree upon degree upon degree. And be extremely intelligent. Then you find out, boy, they've been messing up their lives for a long time. Fear God and keep His commandments. Even for those of us who are not so smart and not so well known not wealthy maybe not highly skilled fear God keep his commandments don't mess up your life I had another there is nothing in this world you can build your life on you can only build your life on the one who is the creator And his son, Jesus Christ, as revealed by the Holy Spirit. There are people who believe that at one point, but then left that and went out into the world trying to find some foundation upon which to build their lives. 
And they tried this, and there was some excitement there for a while, and then they left that and tried this, and they found some excitement and a little bit of money and success there, and then they tried this. That's what Solomon's going to tell us about in chapter 2. And Solomon is going to wind up saying, all is vanity. All is vanity is what he's going to say. There is nothing in this world you can build your life on. You can only build your life on the one who created this world and his son, Jesus Christ, as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Questions or comments about Ecclesiastes? Here's what I'd like to recommend that you do between now and Wednesday night. If you're not in the habit of coming on Wednesday night and you're able to come on Wednesday night, may I strongly encourage that. Otherwise, you're going to wind up studying half of this. Now, you you may read all of it, and you may grasp all of it, maybe better than I grasp it. But if you want to participate in what we've done this morning, then come on back Wednesday night and stay here for this entire study and make this a habit. What I'm going to recommend you do before Wednesday night is, there's not going to be a surprise here, Read the whole book. Read it in one sitting before Wednesday night. And then right before you come Wednesday night, maybe Wednesday afternoon, take up verses 4 through 11. And read that slowly and navigate it and think about it. And you'll not only be ready to come here Wednesday night, I think you'll be anxious to get here. And you'll make some change in your schedule, maybe, so that you can be here Wednesday night. Read the entire book in one sitting and then concentrate on verses 4 through 11. Well, thank you very much for your good attention to our study. I see some interest and we're going to build on that interest Wednesday night.